Welcome to Book Pile Banter. This is Amberly Sarah. I almost said Kim. Um, unfortunately, Kim's in a location that she cannot easily get onto internet and was just buffering way too much. So she is texting in her scores while we talk about the book. And again, we do apologize. We did end up by taking an impromptu two-week break. Uh, I was not feeling well both weeks. So we couldn't get the recording and the editing all done. This does mean we had to skip the last of our mythic fiction. Um, spoiler alert, those two did not like it. I loved it. It was Psyche and Arrows, not shocking. And then instead of doing our book topic this month, I'm just going to give a brief overview of what body horror is at the beginning of this episode. So we'll get started with that first before I get into what the book we're doing. So body horror or biological horror Per Wikipedia is a subgenre of horror that intentionally showcases grotesque or psychologically disturbing violations of the human body or to any other creature. These violations may fan manifest through apparent abhorrent sex, mutations, mutilation, zombification, gratuitous violence, disease, or unnatural movements of the body. Body horror was a description originally applied to an emerging subgenre of North American horror horror films, but has roots in early gothic literature and is expanded to include other media. So that's just the very broadest strokes of body horror, which is what we are discussing this month. And our first book is called Small Favors. It is by Aaron A. Craig. Uh, it was published in 2021 via Delcourt Press. Delcourt Press is a subset of Penguin Random House. Per the author, Aaron A. Craig is uh let's see here she got her sorry to not read through the sentence uh after getting her bfa from the university of michigan in theater design and production she stage managed tragic operas with hunchback seances and murderous clowns and then decided she wanted to write books that were just as spooky small favors is loosely inspired by rumpelstiltskin the plot is strange events start occurring uh, in the secluded falls town, it becomes unsafe for the town folks to send out supply runs and the desperation has them turning against each other. But it is this, but is it a supernatural influence or are their own nature or their own natures that betray them? Man, I cannot read today. Um. <laughs> so, Sarah, what did you think about the plot of this book? Oh, we're not going to talk about whether it fits the body horror theme? Oh, yes. Sorry. Do, do you think this fit body horror? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, usually when I think of something or thinking about a book that would be body horror, it would involve the body horror either happening to the main character or important side characters. And in this one, it was just like, there were some mutant animals. Animals were mutating in the background. But we didn't really get a significant... It didn't play a significant role, really. It was just like a sign of the bad things that were happening. So it has body horror elements, but I wouldn't like call this a body horror book, if that makes sense. Like Hell Followed With Us would be a better example of what I think of when I think of body horror. So I I envision this as kind of like body horror light. Hmm. And kind of what I mean by that is if it's someone is not sure if they could handle body horror, but they want to kind of get 
a sense of what that might involve, this might be a good first book. Um, did you notice she did not give a uh, scoring for plausibility? <laughs> she just skipped that category. <laughs> Do you want to text her and ask her for yeah, plausibility right for now. me? Um, but anyways, I would recommend this book if people are like, you know, I'm kind of curious about reading a body horror style book, but like I need it to not be the main focus. And I think this would be a perfect one to be like, yes, this is going to give you a sense of like what body horror is, what, you know, what you might see happening, but it's not going to be like the thing that moves your plot along too much. And therefore, like, if it becomes too much for you, you can still get through the book while skipping over those body horror parts. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. I still... Yeah, I mean, like, body horror light. Like, real light. Like, <laughs> almost a body horror zero, but that implies no body horror whatsoever. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll go with that. And I would also say, I think this falls a little bit more into, like the psychology portion of body horror because the by the end of it we have an entire town just decimating each other they have yeah. gone off the deep ends but that's more like psychological horror to me is uh, except if they're kind of losing their minds over it and not like going actually insane but like just falling prey think- to paranoia the violence of it leads me to feel like it's more body horror than psychological. Because psychological is like they've lost their mind. This is more like the bad parts of humanity are on full display. Not so much that you you have lost control of your mind as it is that you've allowed the more like base nature of yourself to fully dictate how you act. I suppose you could interpret it that way. I don't know. It's still yeah. psychological to me if it's involving the mind or lost sanity. So, I think you'll be happier with our next book in terms of body horror, um, which is the it's book Leaf. shorter. So, <laughs> yeah, but it is um like a hive. It is another hive mind kind of situation, which is kind Great. of funny. Um, but it's more like I guess with body horror know. and bees. Christ. <laughs> this doesn't have bees. This is more like yeah. um I don't know what it actually is. I've just started the very beginning of it and it's like a very much like an uh, alien like overtaking bodies and controlling mm-hmm. the bodies and like there's like dissections and stuff. So it's very much stronger body horror than this. Okay. We have like plucked out eyeballs. There is a book that I just like I read in one day. That would have been fantastic body horror. And if it was not for the level of spice in it, I think you would absolutely love it. It's called Butcher and Blackbird. And the oh, entire... yeah, I saw you were reading that on Goodreads. I looked it up. Yeah, the entire premise is two serial killers falling in love. Yeah, that was the thing where I was like, mm, I don't really like reading about serial killers. So It's actually pretty solid, mostly because they're serial killers who hunt other serial killers. Hmm. So it's like a Dexter scenario again. Yeah, yeah. Um, it actually like I had got a response from the author on my first video because I was like, like, I don't know what the inspiration for this is, but it is totally giving like the serial convention 
from the Sandman comics. I'm like, I'm just like picturing oh. two serial killers in the background, just like meeting and falling in love. And the other's like, I've never, I've never read that. I'll have to look it up. And I was like, oh my God, it totally has that vibe. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is so Gaiman-esque in this like weird scenario to put together. Um, but it's fantastic. And I almost was like, guys, we need to switch to this book. And then I got to the spicy bits and I went, oh no, these two could not do that part. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, could you guys handle like everything else? Totally. You'd love the horror book movie references, like all of that. But the spice in this was, it was pretty high up there in terms of spice that I've read. Mm. So yeah. Anyways. Not the book we're supposed to be discussing. I just had to share that because I read it in probably about four hours because I was listening to it. And it was like an eight hour book, but I was listening on double speed and I finished it in four hours. It was so good. <laughs> I could not stop listening to it. Yeah, I saw that you'd read it at a five and I was like, didn't you just start that book? And I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read it in four hours. I could not stop listening to it. I was giggling. I was laughing. I was like just like having a blast there's a series of tiktok videos of me just reacting to it but as i get progressively further in the book i get a bit more vague in my reactions because i didn't want to give away spoilers mm -hmm. um but yeah i was like oh my god is this referencing this this is referencing that like i, I loved it but small favors is another book that i actually really like i've read it before um not that you would realize that because you totally thought i and read it in like less than a day. It's <laughs> like Amberly has started reading small favors. Like, oh, that's that's early, but that's fine. And then, the, like, the same day or the next day, it was like Amberly rated it five stars. I was like, five stars, ma'am. <laughs> we have like seven days still. You are not I know. anything. I know that was great because you were just like, um, excuse me, and I'm like, what? I said, slow down. <laughs> You did. You were like, slow down. And I'm like, I've only gotten 7% in. I don't know how I get any slower. You show that in good news. I know. And then I realized you didn't know that I had already read it. Oh. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, Kim came to this book on her own. Oh, I, I assumed that it was one you had recommended when I realized no. you, or when you said you'd read it before. No, she looked up body horror and she was like looking through them and she's like, oh, this one seems interesting. So she picked it and she's like, yeah, I want my body horror to be small favors. I'm like, oh, I've read it. I love it. You'll enjoy it. Um, I'm like, it's particularly because she's like, I don't I don't know how I feel about body horror. And I was like, it's a good like. Light body horror. <laughs> you can get through it. OK, so. The and plot. then you picked a book with eyeballs getting ripped out. So you're really I did. Her in the I was in a. Oh, man, I was in a mood this week because that is not the <laughs> Butcher and Blackbird had eyeballs being plucked out, too. Like, my mood was eyeball plucking. Okay, okay. Let's keep that in the fictional world. Yes, most definitely. Although it is quite fun to cut into sheep's eyes when you have to dissect them. I mean, I guess. They make like a sound. Uh, the ones we had to do just smelled really bad from the preservative. Oh, they smell awful. Yeah, and as you know, scent is something that affects me, so I don't know much else about the experience other than the fact that they smelled... Oh, the hearts were worse, though. The cow hearts. Those had the worst smell. I didn't have um, to do cow hearts. I did worm, sheep's eye, and then I did an online dissection of a 
fetal pig, which was kind of. Oh, no, not the cow's heart. It was the fetal pig. That was the most sharp oh. scent. It like yeah. all the way up in the nasal passages. It was like, yeah, not even. It was the weirdest smell. I've never had anything smell like that before in my life or before or since. That was. It, it's yeah. a pretty distinct smell. The The preservative process for all of that. Um, like my classmates w- did not want to go near the sheep side. I'm like, I'll dissect it. <laughs> what do I need to do? Oh, I got to cut carefully so I don't lose the fluid in the cornea. Okay. <laughs> I was all for it. The worm. Oh, I have to slice it open and like peel back its skin. I can do that. My classmates never did a worm. Carefully. Oh, it was, it was actually really interesting and really fun because like you'd be like oh this is such a tiny and they're they're pretty sizable worms but like you're like this is such a tiny creature there can't be much to be like seen but no there were all kinds of stuff going on in there which i mean makes sense it's a living organism (laughs) (laughs) but yeah anyways totally not (laughs) small favors um what did you think yeah what did you think of the plot of small favors um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very, like, uh, although this falls under predictability, being very straightforward and being very obvious as to what was going on. Um, it's a young adult book. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, I thought it was, this also falls under a different category, like mechanics, but just... <laughs> how it was written how it was paced out it was interesting i enjoyed i enjoyed reading this book for the most part um which obviously i can't say for the previous one um but uh where was i going with that i enjoyed reading this oh i enjoyed like how the plot unfolded how she kind Mm -hmm. of she right the author was yeah yeah okay and they identify um, as she. Okay. How she just kind of moved things along, how she showed life in this village. If it even qualifies. Included as town. That. Yeah, it's, it's like, very do like. Do I call it a cult? Do I call it Because it's like not really a cult. It's more just like a pioneer it's a small settlement town almost. Yeah. yeah, settlement. That's a good one. Um, which I did wonder when reading this if it was going to be like a village situation where they leave the town and then it's like oh it's actually modern day outside and it's just uh kim thought the same thing what kim thought the same thing like she started reading it and she's like this is giving the village vibes and i'm like just just keep going because kim (laughs) does not like m night Shyamalan's the village uh i think i have never have i seen it I don't know. I've definitely seen the parody of it, but I don't know about the original. Um, but yeah. I mean, it's I pretty standard. Not liking like, it. Yeah. Um, honestly, for her, he peaked at signs and like nothing has been as enjoyable as signs for her from him. I enjoyed signs in the sixth sense. Everything else has been crap. Yeah, which is which is the case. His daughter did one recently. Or is going to be doing one. But I think we've discussed that in a previous episode. I think she's doing Mexican Gothic. Oh, God. Anyways. So, in terms of the plot, I, too, really like how the author paces her plot. I've actually read about three of her books. 
And she does a really good job of creating atmosphere without the atmosphere, like, bogging down the story. They interweave pretty solidly, in my opinion, where you get a good sense of what's going on around the characters, but there's still movement forward as to what the flaw is in the story. And I liked it because it almost felt like a reverse of uh, Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. I don't know if you remember the plot for that one or if it's left your brain. They draw lots and then they stone the person who wins. Yeah. And so it feels like it's almost a revert of that, a reverse of that, where it's like, what happens if these small towns, small villages don't have a means of like truly exercising their personal demons on each other? And while there's a supernatural element to this that kind of like influences the increase of that, in the end, it's really the townspeople, they just like really were fucked up. They'd been too insular for so long that they didn't actually have a proper way to function and handle problems. Um, so it felt like an, a complete reserve, reverse, so a dystopian version of the lottery. Not that the lottery is like utopian. <laughs> okay. okay. Yes. A dystopian of the very normal scenario presented yeah. by the lottery. the lottery. But would you disagree? I don't know. Of it being a like a reverse of that, or would you have to care that much about the lottery to like have an opinion? opinion <laughs> i don't know i don't know that the village people were in any way particularly fucked up beforehand i mean like they were probably just as annoyed with people deep down as any person is when they have to deal with their neighbors and or even friends or family that have particular tics that you know they may not agree with or find annoying but that they just kind of deal with because that's part of living with a group of humans. And then the presence of the monsters and the manipulations of always turning them against each other did what you would expect it to do. Like I didn't, I didn't think that the people were that weird from normal. Oh, see, I totally, which I will say, I think the first time I read it, that's kind of like, I'm like, Oh, this is all the monsters doings, but reading it the second time, I was aware how much the people were actually like influencing the flaws of the situation because they had created a means of voting that didn't really allow for proper negotiation of the outcome. It was just straightforward. You vote and we adhere to what the populace says. Um, there was no workaround for when the vote harmed the community. And they didn't have a proper justice system because they were too far off. So they just determined when someone has done something awful enough to warrant being killed. Which creates kind of a level of lawlessness. And then on top of that, they have these laws that are telling them, hey, you know, help your neighbor. Be good to your neighbor. Always put your neighbor ahead of yourself. Um, and eventually those little things that you have issues with, those like problems, especially when handled in such an extreme way of res resolution are gonna like bubble forth and so while these people were being influenced by these monsters it really was them choosing to go and kill each other's chickens or not keep their fence up or you know raid this you know each other's you know 
food supplies or not share or, you know, decide when they can't handle how to actually communicate with each other that everyone's just going to stay home. Um, like, it was very much their downfall of, I don't know where I was going with that, but, like, like I don't know. It just felt like it was their doing. Uh, the monsters were just an exaggeration of their jealousies and their envy. Um, that they didn't know how to resolve. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Shit. My foot's falling asleep. Um, do you have any other thoughts on the plot? Well, I will say that, um, and again, might be the wrong category to mention it in, but boy, I can see the words in my head. I just can't arrange them in a way that makes sense. Uh, so I felt like this book was meant to be written in, well, it's if it's supposed to be kind of body horror, then it's supposed to be kind of creepy. And it didn't really hit that for me. It didn't really i mean you said it was like atmospheric and i will agree that it did have that element but it still kind of didn't work super effectively for me but i do think that this would work better or would work really well maybe not better if you really enjoyed the book but as like an a24 movie where you can like have some like really good shots and some creepy music to help bolster Mm -hmm. it and Mm -hmm. it might just um i don't know when i was reading the book i was like i really wish i was watching this as a movie it would be much more effective for me in terms of creepiness and all that it would like i'm like man you know like just get like really artistic with it and it's just like the mundane of what's going on and then it cuts to just like b sounds like and like it holds you there in that moment and then it's just, you know, the mundane of them, like, lifting. Like, yeah, no, I totally agree with you that it could be, like, a insanely, like, creepy movie. Um, I think in terms of the book, it comes under more of, like, uncanny than horror to me. Hmm. Where it's just everything's just, just slightly off. As opposed to, I've got to stand up. Um, <laughs> as opposed to being, like, yes. As opposed to being, like, horrifying. Um, but again, I think it it's a great way, keeping in mind that it's for young adults, for a teen to explore uncanny and horror without diving into the deep end if they've never read it before. Sometimes it's fun just to dive straight in with no expectations. That's how you discover the fun stuff in life, you know? I I agree. However, I can tell you from working in a library that a lot of parents these days are like, very 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 meticulous about what their children are reading um and it's there are times where i want to be like okay i understand you're concerned about this thing and you as a parent most definitely have the right to like not want them to read that thing but like this is a great opportunity for them to learn about it in a safe environment exactly and so i'm always like how do i navigate this conversation um while maintaining the trust for the parents. So, yeah. okay. Do we want to, because we're kind of shifting yeah, off plot no, now. Do we want to, con- ratings? Oh, let me get the uh, chart. That works, because I can tell everyone. So Kim gave the plot a rating of seven. 
Okay, that sounds... So that means she liked it, but it didn't really stand out for her. Yeah, which solidly, I can see why. For her. Yeah, and while Sarah... Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, you go. As you say, I gave it a 10. I've read this twice. <laughs> I I love the plot. I love the fairy tale aspect of it, which we didn't even touch upon. Um, I love... Yeah. I did not know that this was like I saw that it was supposed to be a retelling on Goodreads, but I only saw that like after I finished it, and I was like, oh. And then I was like, a retelling of what? Rumpelstiltskin? Because there was the whole have to guess the name thing, but like, yeah, very yeah, loose, very loosely. Very I, loosely I will say that retelling. that that's what this author does is she does take fairy tales and does some really loose adaptations of them. Um, she has another one that's the Twelve Dancing like Princesses, inspired by yeah retelling at that point exactly it very much is but like we don't we don't say this book was inspired by we say a retelling a reimagining um but yeah no it's definitely loosely inspired by rumpelstiltskin okay yeah. so what's your plot rating um the problem that i'm gonna have with these scores is that i'm not gonna want to revisit any of them so like the hardest number it's gonna go up to is gonna be a six um highest not okay. hardest. but yeah i think i am going to give this a six for plot okay all right so main characters i'm thinking ellery Celery. and Whitaker. yeah yeah he was in there enough to be a main character i guess because yeah, I don't know who else we would mark as a main character. I don't feel like Sam was a main character. No, he was. He disappeared more than Whitaker. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess. Uh, okay. Well, we'll do those two. two. Um, or just Celery. No, I think the two of them, just because I think the secondary characters, there's so many other secondary characters to discuss. That. Not that we'll necessarily discuss them all. That I think Ellery and Whitaker work really well for this. Because this is equal parts his story as it is hers. It's just we're getting it from her point of view. Yeah. So, other than you did not like her name, what did you think of Ellery? I don't know who that is. Um, Celery. What did you think of Celery? <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't mind her as a, a character. She's dumb as a brick. But or oblivious as a brick, I should say. Not dumb. She wasn't dumb, but she was oblivious. Like girl, ma'am, lady, whatever, young woman you want to call her. Like your little sister called her everything. Imaginary friend that you've never seen before. And then shortly thereafter, or you know, relatively, it's like, oh, did you imagine this lady that you, you know, saw, but and and then you never put those pieces together, even much later on in the story when it was like glaringly obvious no no you didn't like just your critical reasoning skills were not there but as a character she she was actually um other than the cognitive failures but that was kind of required by the plot i guess um well and she did have high stressors going on by the time she was starting to see things she was heading into starvation mode so like i don't saw Madam Lyra, I couldn't remember her name there for a second. Lighting Lyra. the freaking I pronounced that name as Lyra, and I, I will just keep fucking that up. So I'll do my best. <laughs> I know to it's just because she's um, a liar, Lyra. 
she's a liar is what she is um that's why her name's lyra no liar like the musical instrument versus liar no. person who tells lies it's it's a play on words her she's oh. named after a liar which is the musical instrument she is a liar oh okay so therefore she is in there Lyra. I thought you were referencing the liar again. Um, no. <laughs> she saw her lighting the, the, the giant bonfire, which they do that real casually, apparently. It's like these giant things of wood that they then have to rebuild every time. Mm-hmm. I'm still like, I just, yeah, that was a weird <laughs> element. But anyway, she saw her then and then was like, oh, that wasn't Rachel. Oh, well, I guess it's not worth worrying about too much. I just, I don't know, you know? Maybe that was the weirdest moment to put it together, but that should have been, like, it just... And again, this is also why it would have almost worked better as a movie, because, like, in the text, it's much clearer, because the author's trying to leave these breadcrumbs for the reader, but, like, they're also kind of obvious sometimes and so it just makes the characters seem stupid in comparison that they aren't picking up because they don't know they're in a book they don't know they're in a body horror story we do and so yeah that was just one of the things that i was kind of annoyed um by celery but that was really the only thing yeah i i gave her forgiveness on that because one she is supposed to be pretty much a naive 18 year old i mean she couldn't even pick up on the fact that her brother and her best friend had been hooking up um so it's not like we started out with an incredibly intelligent character who then just like slowly lost her intelligence we started with a pretty naive character who was struggling through some really rough situations um and she, she didn't have anything to like reason it out with or anyone wasn't like Whitaker was giving her you know (laughs) much to work with in conversations uh Mary wasn't giving her anything her parents were gone Sam's an asshole (laughs) her best friend is no longer her best friend so like there was just her and her diminished thinking power as one crazy situation after the next happens so like I wasn't overly shocked or bothered by it i can get why it would bother people like i can totally see why but for me i was like nope this having met 18 year olds and interacted with 18 year olds a bit more regularly recently i'm like yep no that that seems solidly in the realm of believability for them (laughs) (laughs) so I, i i gave her forgiveness on that part um more so than you did and i did like her I I thought she did pretty well within the insanity that she was dealing with. And I was very happy by the end of it that she manages to escape it. So, and that she does manage to outwit Lyra. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still don't know how I feel about that scene. I, like, I simultaneously feel like it was well done, but at the same time... Because Celery was just so, I don't want to say stupid, but like, you know, she didn't pick up on a lot of clues that she could have at the time that it just, she suddenly seemed to be having these strokes of genius. Um, But yeah, I mean, overall, I was satisfied with her ability to handle Lyra at that point in time. Just, uh, I was squinting a bit 
my plausibility alarm. Which we'll get to that. <laughs> ticking. We'll <discuss> plausibility. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what about Whitaker? What did you feel about him? Uh, he was really bland. I honestly did not care about him. <laughs> I didn't even know he had tattoos until like the second time she mentioned he was like washing up in the river or something. And she talked about how his green tattoos were visible. I was like, he has green tattoos? And they were referenced again later on when it was like, oh, they actually are relevant. And I was like, I do not even remember them being established in the first place, but. Uh, she hadn't realized they were green tattoos, but when they first meet, she notices, like, green bands peeking out from underneath his sleeves when he reaches oh. out to give her something. Um, but she didn't, at the time, think, oh, that's a tattoo. It wasn't until he started washing up that she was like, oh, those are tattoos. Um, she just noticed a hint of green. So it was there, but it definitely was, like, a build-up to why those are important, as opposed to just being like, and this fucker has green tattoos, so you remember that. <laughs> Oh, which i kind of appreciate now i remember now i remember the thing that actually pissed me off about celery the most in terms of her what's that her willingness to be like oh it's fine that he doesn't want to give his name that is a perfectly normal and human reaction to that question i will not really question it it's fine i'll just give him a name myself that was when i was like listen girl is hormonal her best friend and brother were getting it on and she wanted to catch up with them. She was not thinking with her upstairs brain. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's be real. She was not thinking with the upstairs brain. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one of the things where it's like, really, really? He won't give you your name, his name. He's letting you name him. He's like evading answering real questions, but you're too busy making goo-goo eyes because, oh my God, it's not someone you grew up with and you're just desperate to catch up with your brother and best friend okay <laughs> but yeah. at the same time i'm like ah, eh, 18 years old they aren't thinking with their upstairs brains <laughs> so again i gave her some leeway on that because i was like no that's pretty solidly a flaw of that age group so <laughs> i guess it's just when people are like these there's some weird strangers or there's these weird people. It's like Whitaker doesn't even register on her radar as being one of these oh. potentially weird people. No, she's too busy being <sighs> horny. <laughs> so I like Whitaker. I liked the mystery of Whitaker. And I appreciated the fact, and the first time reading it through, I didn't pick up on the subtle hints about him as much because I wasn't quite sure the first time where it was going to go with him. I had my suspicions, but I wasn't sure. But going back and reading it the second time, um, which is why I enjoy this book even more, is like these little subtle things. We were actually given a lot about Whitaker than I realized the first time around because they're just such offhanded comments that it's like, oh, okay, this is, you know, it, it's almost like an unreliable narrator it was like, okay, Ellery's mentioning this, but I don't know that I need to pay attention to this as opposed to the second time where I know where the plot's going. And I'm like, oh, that was important. We just let it go. So, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Like, like even the, um, the friend, uh, were one of the other people when he actually, the other traitor or trapper, um, 
when he doesn't even give his name and Whitaker just kind of gives him like a faux name. It's like, wow, Ellery, you really miss the fact that neither of these men are giving you a name. <laughs> Maybe you should be suspicious of them. And instead, she's just trying to survive. And at a certain, at a certain point, I'm just like, no, fair. It's getting a little weird. Maybe one does just survive. So, do we want to rate char- main characters? Sure. Okay. So, Kim gave the main characters an eight. She liked them. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a nine. Cause like there there is a little bit of blandness to Whitaker, but I think that's more perspective. Um and yeah, Ellery is, is not thinking with her upstairs brain. So <laughs> what about for you? Uh, I'm gonna go with a five. A five? Fair. Fair. Okay, secondary characters. I actually really enjoy the breadth of secondary characters that we get in this. Even though it's such a small community, I feel like there are so many other secondary characters that really, like, enhance the story. Because the author could have just been like, here's the town, here's a brief interaction of the town, now everything's taking place on the farm. But instead the author does keep using the secondary characters to build the tension and even when they're isolated in the middle of winter and it's snowing they still bring in a town's individual to like up the ante by delivering the chicken yeah um like one of the things that i did when reading this book without even really meaning to is Comparing it to like Lucha of the Night Forest, where there's also mm-hmm. a town in like a forest, or mm-hmm. a, but it like that's the thing. I don't really know what was going on in the setting in that book because it was really just Lucha and like two other people that yeah. you really interact with, and so there was no life or depth to the setting whatsoever. And so, and I was like thinking, I was like, yeah, this is a much better way of doing this, like isolated communities surrounded by the wilderness um because even though the secondary characters for me like individually i didn't really none of them left an impression i didn't care Mm -hmm. about any of those people but in their interactions with either celery or just with each other the town tensions and all that um and having (laughs) sorry you keep calling your celery and i cannot take it seriously (laughs) (laughs) welcome to my world i'm reading the book (laughs) anyways Um, go ahead go ahead (laughs) So, like, just, it does feel realistically like a town and, like, and, like, a larger settlement than what you would usually get with, like, this kind of setting where, again, the author will focus only on the main character, her love interest, any, any family members, if she gives the main character them, and, like, maybe, like, one or two principal side characters that are, like, friends or maybe an enemy, um, and yeah, so they they uh they really help build the the setting and give it that extra I don't know, oomph. <laughs> like just attention. It, yeah, attention and it, it just gives a little bit depth. of extra attention and and I think it also because by the end of it I care enough like would I could could I other than Sam, Mary, and I don't remember the littlest one's name, Sadie. 
Could I name any of the other characters? I can't say with 100% confidence that I could. Winthrop. Yeah. Amos. But Amos, there you Betsy, go. You're doing Betsy better was than a cow. Me, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Betsy was still a secondary character. I still felt bad for Betsy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ezra, Thomas. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Those guys. Yeah. I kept forgetting like, we were in the book. I, well, okay, and that's more me with names. I'm terrible with names. Rachel, which I totally Rachel? thought her name was Rebecca. Oh, it is Rebecca. Okay. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Rebecca. Sorry. Just okay. with our it's names, okay. it's either Rachel or Rebecca. Those... Rebecca, yeah. <laughs> um, But, like, I did care as the book was coming to its, like, climax, what was happening to them. I still wanted Rebecca to escape with them. I still wanted Sam to like, to, like be punished. Cause God, he was an asshole. Um, such a whiny I mean, little bitch. He, he got killed. So I know. But like, I was invested enough in the secondary characters. I was like, I want to know who's killing who in the town. I want to know who did what to who, who made what deal. Um. Who was seeing what? Like, I still cared enough to, like, want to know the consequences that they faced. Um, and it didn't feel like it was one-off. Instead, it felt like, particularly in that, like, ending scene, like, it was building on it to have spent just enough time with each of those characters that I knew enough about them that, like, I cared about what happened to them. And in caring about what happened to them increased the tension of wanting Ellery to escape this awful situation. So, yeah, I I liked the secondary characters. I think the author did a really good job with them. I don't yeah. think there's anything about any of them that I would be like, oh, no, I needed less of this or more of that. Yeah, that pretty much agree. Uh, like I said, okay. I didn't care about them individually, but as a unit, they were used very effectively. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, Kim rated secondary characters eight. Uh, I'm going to give it a 10. I think this is actually one of the better executions of secondary characters that we've ever read. Uh, what do you give it? Um, I mean, I'm going to go up a little higher in the sense that I wouldn't want to revisit this book in particular, but like the, I, revisiting the style of writing the secondary characters, I'll give it that. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I'm gonna give it give it a seven. A seven? Okay, fair. Plausibility. So, at a glance, the plausibility seems questionable. Um. But I will say, having read enough nonfiction and fictional accounts of people in high-stress situations like this, taking away the supernatural element that factors into this book, I feel like it was a plausible situation of isolation, hard times, how they I interacted mean, with each other. It is a perfect representation of how people act sometimes. Look at today's world. Yeah, and how people freak out on the internet. They feed each other, and then they freak out and take it out on people who have nothing to do with it, especially minorities mm -hmm. that can't protect themselves or really 
mount an effective response. Um, so yeah, no, in terms of human nature, that when it gets freaked out and paranoid and is goaded into more fear by fear mongering individuals. Yeah. Um, I would say it's a very plausible scenario. Again, we're just ignoring the supernatural elements. Um, but even so thinking on the supernatural elements other like there's never a moment where I think that's too supernatural. They actually function in such a discreet manner that like People are seeing things. People are noticing things disappearing. I mean, it's never, like, explicitly stated, but I kind of was working under the assumption that, like, the sugar probably came from the general store. That he probably took 30 pounds of sugar at some point, which is why it was suddenly down to only 5 pounds of sugar. And then was storing it and then gave it to Allery later on as a bargain. So, like, everything... Everything that happened, all the people actually did. There was just this psychological external representation of what was going on in their heads that led them to making those choices. And then yeah. bad weather. I mean, even even the like rotting and all that kind of stuff. We aren't actually ever told that the creatures actually did that. It was more they were just kind of there feeding on it. It, it, uh, With like Thomas and Ezra, they're like, we've seen this before. This is what happens. So it's like, it is implied in the story that it is a direct correlation between their presence and the mutant animals, which is certainly something that is that. Yes. But is it that they actually cause those things or is it that those things start to happen and they're drawn to it? I don't know, because it seemed like it was implied that they had been there for a while before the the creatures even started mutating. So, like, okay. the weather didn't... It's like the weather and everything ramped up as their influence, like, yeah, stronger. Um, so, I mean, like, it could just be bad luck with the weather, but I think in the context of the book, it was... Yeah, I, 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 I totally get what you're saying. I totally agree on it, but I did like like looking at it as, like, a, is it really that they're doing anything, or are they just present? Um, particularly reading it the second time through, and I was like, okay, yes, there are the mutations and all that kind of stuff. It's like, but like, if it's such a remote place, could there be something that's being introduced to the environment that's causing these mutations that isn't a supernatural element that just isn't pointed out in the book? You know, it, it like there was just like there there was a just enough there that if the author had removed a supernatural element, I still would have believed that everything could have gone down the way it was. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, other than maybe the inability to, like, properly get out of the town. But even then, there was, like, this weird implication that there wasn't actually something attacking the supply trains. I don't think there was. I think it was just they would make the people... Because the minute they leave the line of the bells, all their emotions intensify because that's what Celery yeah. experienced. So it's like, and again, yeah. I do think that is the influence of the Dark Watchers, Dark Ones, whatever they were called. Yeah. But you could, again, wipe them out of the story and just have it like be 
this sense of isolation the dark unknown yeah drives them crazy and has them kill each other because they didn't get far yeah. from the town when this happened like in both cases no uh, they both well and other than the first one the second one the second two the two times that happened after the first group didn't come back sam was there so like it only happened twice though they only sent out a supply <sighs> on twice uh, but uh the father and Sam did try to leave or go look for the supply train and they were attacked. Oh, I forgot about that one. They yeah. just came back. Um, but the only time someone actually managed to safely make it out was the father and the mother because they were in a desperate need to and Sam didn't go with them. And Whitaker did go with them. Yeah. So. So. But yeah, anyways, I find the plausibility like... <laughs> I felt it was plausible. Yeah, you I want to mean... rate plausibility, or did you have more to say? Sorry. Nope, nope. I would say, um, I'll give this six point five. Okay, uh, Kim also gave it a six point five. I will give it. I'll give it an did eight. Did you already rate it? No, not for plausibility. Oh, damn. I thought you did. <laughs> nope. I just said I, I felt it was 100% plausible. Okay. Mm. And I apologize for any barking that's picking up in the background. The dogs are outside and no one's letting them in. Um, I'm not getting anything on my end. Okay, cool. Okay, the ending. I was satisfied with the ending. I loved the town absolutely self-destructing, but but Mary, Sadie, Ellery, and Rebecca making it out of the town with Whitaker. And Whitaker being saved from continuing to be what he didn't want to be. 100% satisfying. Yeah, it was satisfying enough. Um, wasn't amazed, but like it was like, yeah, this all makes sense. This is a very sensible way to wrap up the story uh all the loose ends um and still very with, like, like oh. but it's because they still keep with like the horror kind of part of the genre where most of the characters do not uh make it out alive just a select few so I felt it was true to that but without tormenting like the main character too much yeah, I was going to say, it definitely leads into, like, that movie quality that you were talking about. Like, I could visualize that end shot of them heading into the forest, the bells jingling, and just behind them, the town just pure chaos. Just on fire, just, like, night sky lit up. They're huddled in what they're in. You know, like, I could visualize that end to that movie. Yeah. And, like, the level of unknown that is still out there. Do they still find their parents? Is the mother still alive? You know, does Whitaker stick around? Like, there was enough unknown there that I was like, this is a satisfying ending. I can decide how I think it goes from here. So. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on the ending? I just wish Kim was here because I really am curious as to how she got to her rating for it. Let's see here. She gave it a... Ooh, a 4.5. I don't I know. that It's the lowest score of all the ones she gave. I'm really curious. I, know. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't think her and I discussed the ending. So, like, I can't even begin. 
Other than she might not have liked the whole guessing the name and then them managing to escape. Hmm. Maybe. She might have found that too convenient. I mean, yeah, the one thing I would... Well, yeah, I will say the one thing, I guess, because it was the only thing that kind of bothered me. And it wasn't even that much of a bother, but it was just like... I don't know. I was still kind of annoyed by the fact that they showed the whole thing with Lyra. Lyra. Um, <laughs> and, but there was like the whole part where she like told her to wait and then, you know, it cuts to the next scene. And then like, so we go through the ending and then it's like, oh, and then Whitaker shows up and it's like, oh, and by the way, this also happened. Just, you know, we didn't show it to you to surprise you now. That kind of annoyed me. I, I don't, I don't like it when they do that. I get why they do it because it would be much less climactic if she was just like yeah i need you to let him go too I'm like, okay and then it just happens oh but see it let me pause real quick i uh so what i was gonna say is i felt like it was implied that Whitaker was being freed when she asked for the town to be reset and Lyra said that's not it's it's too late and so I was like, okay, well, obviously she's going to ask for Whitaker's freedom because she can't save the town. Um, so I didn't mind that it didn't explicitly tell us that's what she asked for. I think it was fantastic because it was like, yes, this is what's implied to happen. Now the question is, does Whitaker come to her rescue or does he run away now that he's free? And he came to her rescue. So I, I think I that... Go ahead. I was going to say, honestly, I kept forgetting about him if he wasn't immediately on the page. So, like, there was that part where she was like, I forget what she says, you know, one more thing or one other thing. I was like, like, it registered in my brain. And then as soon as the next scene started, I had forgotten about it completely. So then when he just showed up, I was like, mm, okay, I, it works. But, like, not my favorite way to do it, I guess. That's fair. Okay. So, as we said, Kim gave the ending a 4.5. So, what did you give it, Sarah? Uh, I would give it a six. Okay. I, I give it an eight. It's it's satisfying. Okay. Mechanics. Which again, Kim did not like the mechanics of this. I don't know why. But she did not like the mechanics. She only gave it a five. Um, yeah, slightly better than the endings, but parts yeah, didn't work. Which is which is weird because I thought in terms of like technical writing I think the pacing on it is fantastic I loved the use of the seasons to like progress the story and like intensify when it made time jumps it wasn't like oh my god suddenly it's a time jump it it would say it is now March it is you know it... there were elements that were given to help us solidify why the seasons were where they were at certain points, why we, you know, we didn't get dragged through months and months of their starving. We're shown that they're starting to starve. And then we move forward to it's been months and we're now seeing the effects of that starvation. Um, and I, I, I felt like it was solidly written. Like we discussed the setting of the town and the use of the townspeople, I think was fantastic mechanically speaking. Um, and I think the supernatural elements were just there enough to keep reminding us that they were present, but was not a driving factor, which I liked. So, yeah. 
Yep, those are all good points that I agree with. Um, I will say the starvation thing made sense. Not arguing that. I just felt like it sounded like they ran out of food a lot earlier on. So I was wondering how they were still alive, like late spring. And they'd already said that it was hot, so all the crops had shriveled. And I was like, okay, so are you eating squirrels? What is going on there? How are you? No, because they didn't have a gun. No. So that was <laughs> a lot of question there. Um, but I guess, I don't know. They just kept pulling beans out of the larder or something. Uh, it will beans and that they had gone foraging. Because yeah. like they had found so the mints, they... If nothing else is growing or poorly, I, I, I guess, but it just, it's, it seems a little statistically unlikely that they'd have enough food uh, for that long. But again, that's fair. I, I think that is a fair line. Honestly. Yeah. Um, I, I think, and the other factor that like, <laughs> it just wasn't pushed to the horror element that it could have been is I think they got very close and then Betsy died of starvation. So they could at least salvage that's true. Bones, meat. So if they had, and they had Ezra and Thomas, well, Ezra, I say in quotations because I can't remember what his actual name Ephraim. was, but Ezra's what? Ephraim. They had Ephraim and Thomas there who could have helped them in terms of prepping the meat, smoking it, preserving it. So that might have sustained them long enough into spring because, I mean, it would have been delicious meat. No, but would it have been edible? Maybe the first time. Maybe the first time. Would it have been edible? Yes. And then we're told, you know, they managed to find mint and there might have been other plants. Yeah, I think there were like berries were... or something that she found. But Yeah. 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 And um, beans. There was tons of beans, which yeah. <laughs> you're not going to enjoy eating that much beans, but like you will live off of beans. Yeah. As long as you live, that's what matters, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, just so like that element, I feel like it was introduced maybe a little too early on. But again, yeah. not a huge deal. Um, I did also think, but this might be because of the time jumping between the seasons, that there was a lot of buildup in the beginning as to what was happening. And then it like the degradation of the town psyche kind of felt like it really it was going slowly and then suddenly it was just like gone so that felt a little rushed maybe but even then not a big deal it wasn't something that i was really like why is this happening all of a sudden it was more like okay it makes sense all the elements it just it felt a little quick but i i think huh I was gonna say it doesn't want. I don't want it. Rain. Just put the things in order. Don't just spurt all the words out at once. Um, I wouldn't want it to be dragged out like another two hundred pages. On the other hand, so like at the end of the day, I apologize if you can hear the dogs losing their I shit still in the background. Can't. Okay, fantastic. Because Ronan's out there howling like he has been abandoned by the entire world and is devastated. Um, so, 
And again, I recognize that I'm coming at this as a second read, which means that like those little things that I can, I can definitely see in the first read would seem more flawed. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the town, like just like degrading so rapidly. Um, I feel like Rebecca's father dying was us seeing, because they said they'd only other done, done that one time before many, 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 many decades ago. And so I think that rapid degradation happens once they commit murder. Like, it's like once you've hung a man without a true, like, justice system in place, what is stopping you from just losing it? I mean, arguably, do you really, does the justice system being in place change anything once you've hung a man or once you've murdered someone? Like, exactly. But, and so I think when I read it the second time, I noticed that that rapid, degradation happens after he is hung mm. yeah that makes sense but that that broke something in point of the no return of the town yeah it was a point of no return and so from there it's just rapidly escalating because it's almost like the entire town wants to return to hanging somebody else in order to blame the problem on them like just keep killing so- like someone until it goes yeah. away yeah yeah, exactly. Um, so I did notice that that pacing does rapidly increase after the father, the, the neighbor is hung. Um, mm. It really is that that kind for- of like shouldn't have forgot about that moment, but I I did kind <laughs> of it kind of disappears into all the other chaos that happens later on, and I think it's supposed to. Yeah, in thinking about the mechanics, well, I mean, like, it's almost like that's okay, the last moment when they're um like still. A functioning town, and mm-hmm. then after that, it's just they're playing a lynch mob that is, yeah, not really in control. Yeah, um, so I, I think in terms of execution, that was actually really well done and plotted on the author's part. Um, so I think the mechanics are solid in this. Other than maybe the whole starvation thing, and I, I think it's just because the language that was used, and that's probably more because of the narrator perspective. Elry probably thought that they were starving and out of food much faster than they were out of food. I guess so, because they lived a long time on yeah. what sounded like an so, empty larder. Yeah, but I think that, again, goes more to the naivety of Elry, where she's probably like, we don't have anything else to eat. Oh, but I found this. But instead of us like listening to Elry go, oh, I found this, and we managed off of this, and we managed off of that, it's it's Elry's sanity has slipped because she's so hungry because she's skipping meals and trying to feed her sisters more than herself that her sense of starvation is almost unrealistic because she doesn't have a realistic perspective to it so yeah what do you rate mechanics uh let's see here I also just want to mention the bees I thought would be more significant. And while they did play a role in the story, like they were on the cover and everything and Whitaker seemed afraid, like weirdly afraid of the bees. But uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing went anywhere with that, really. Um, did they, they didn't take the bees with them. 
Well, no, she just they, hoped that they'd they be able to come back. Big old hives. But, no, she hoped that they might be able to return and salvage them at some point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, she was like, maybe they took like the frame with the queen bee, but no, they did not. Mm-mm. Um, yes. But I think the bees were the juxtaposition of true nature versus human nature. I mean, I guess so, but like, if so, um, I wasn't really getting that from the book. Which is fair. I guess we'll give Bees it a were 6. a vibe. 6.5? Okay. Yeah. Let's see here. 6.5. I... I think the scores are higher because I'm not hearing Kim's reasoning. <laughs> You're like, man, Amberly's defending this. Okay, I'll up my score. <laughs> I I give the mechanics... I give it a nine. Um, like it's pretty pretty solid, but obviously I think it's very rare that mechanics can be like true perfection. Um, and I think you were solidly right on the whole like sense of starvation that that maybe wasn't as executed as flawlessly as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Predictability. Yeah. Yeah. Just. It's young adult. It's predictable. Like, there's no not being predictable, but the predictability didn't bother me. Yeah, I don't know. It made Celery seem dumber than she was to me again because she is completely overlooking or failing to note slash connect the dots on the breadcrumbs that the author is very clearly laying out um and so in that respect it did detract a little bit like you kind of know what's going on pretty quickly and what's going to happen um, I wouldn't have been able to predict Lyra's name, so I guess there's that. But, like, other than that, it was a little bit... I enjoyed it. I, it didn't make it, like, horrible, but it is one of the things where I was like, this is more predictable than... Than you would have not. Yeah. Than I would have Yeah, wanted. I, like, solidly get it. I, I feel like... The author was not trying to shove a bunch of red herrings down our throat. Which means that it was pretty predictable. Like, it was obvious Ezra and Thomas were not going to actually be the long-lost uncle. Um, It was pretty predictable that she was going to manage to save Whitaker. It was predictable that that Rebecca was going to end up going with them. Um... Because Rebecca had managed to survive within the insanity of the town, but like was still actually like removed from the insanity. She didn't act nearly as sane as insane as the rest of the town did. So she was savable. Um Sam was clearly going to just always be an asshole. So but I don't I didn't hate it. I don't think the predictability were the core elements of this is the reason to read it or not read it. Mm, true. So it's kind of like that something had to give, and the predictability is a reasonable give for atmosphere and 
character development and building within the entirety of it. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on predictability? Nope. Alrighty. Well, Kim gave predictability a six. Not surprised. Uh, she found it wholly predictable. Actually, I think that's a higher score than I would have expected her for predictability. Yeah, like, but maybe, I mean... maybe she didn't mind the predictability. So, what do you give predictability? Uh, I am going to go with four. Okay. I didn't like it. It was too predictable. But at the same time, I didn't hate it because it was kind of expected for what it was. Yeah, I think I think for me it's a six. And I agree with you on that kind of like, oh, let me surprise you. And will Whitaker will, won't Whit or will Whitaker not show up? I feel like that was supposed to be a really intense moment. And it it's, it's like, oh, obviously he's going to show up. Obviously he's going to have been freed, even if we haven't been explicitly said. Um, there's Meanwhile, no I way. Straight up forgot that he was in the character. <laughs> character. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, there he is. Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Now in retrospect. <laughs> um, I, I think something could have been done there to like, increase the unpredictability element of that and i i think it was not as solid as it could have been for being like i think the big unpredictable moment of will they won't they end up together Alrighty, our next category is emotional reaction oh kim actually had pretty positive emotions to this she gave it a seven i'm surprised i mean she about you four i'm good Although she also rated Psyche Nero support, and apparently she didn't like that one so much, so I don't even know how her ratings work. Um, for me, she was neutral on that one. She she said it was actually probably close to like a three point two five to a three point five. She just hates the fact that Goodreads doesn't allow her to do decimals. She yeah. likes Story Graph better because she can do decimal points that feel more mm. accurate to her representation. But she hates to round down if it's above a three on goodreads because she doesn't think that's fair <laughs> yeah it's like that's i usually i don't go down to like 0.25s but if in my head i'm writing something that's like a 3.5 i always give it four because it's like well it's more stars than a three um yeah but so yeah it, it's a fallacy of the goodreads system not a misrepresentation feel, of kim's rating yeah i don't know um so we're doing emotional reaction yep Sorry, I'm going through the chart right now. <laughs> no worries. I I enjoyed it. I mean, I've read it twice now. I would happily just listen to it again purely for the atmosphere of it. Um, I would watch it as a movie, but that's the only way I would go through it again. That's fair. I, it's like, it's I would it was love fun to see read it. It was movie. an adventure, but I would love to see it as a movie. I think <laughs> in the right hands, it could be a gorgeously done movie. Again, I'm telling you, A24, that studio, like, do a Midsummer-style version of yes. this book. That would be good. Yeah. Um, I guess... Did you already give your rating for it? No, not yet. But you can give your oh. rating. I don't, I don't have much more to say about emotional reaction other than I enjoyed okay. it and will happily listen to it again. It was like, it was a pleasant read. It was better than... It was more enjoyable than the last one, but that's about <laughs> as much 
emotion that I got out of it. Um, okay. So I would give it a six. Okay. Which is weird. Since I give it an. Kim's. I give it an eight. Readability. Kim gave it an eight. She found it readable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was pretty readable. The book smelled nice. The pages felt good. Um, The pacing, the story moved along in a way that was like easy to follow and intriguing enough that you want to keep reading. Um, Maybe not, not like it's not for me a book that you can't put down. It wasn't that engaging, but it Mm -hmm. is one where it's like you set it down. And then later on, it's like, oh, you know what? I want to see what's going to happen next. Or I want to see yeah. if Celery's ever going to figure this shit out and, <laughs> and start reading it again. You know? So very easy to read. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's very easy to read. Um, I think it's a great one if people are like, I don't know how I feel about body horror. To be like, okay, start out with this. If the brief discussions of mutilation make you queasy then then maybe don't progress further in body horror (laughs) if if you can handle that then let's let's get you over to hell followed with us like let's build you up there um and then tell me i'm worthless i think that one would also count as body horror (laughs) (laughs) but like I just I'm walking away. I'm not I'm not I'm not <laughs> commenting on that book. Um and like this is one that like if a teen was like, I want something fantasy, but I kind of want it to be creepy, but not too creepy, this would be, be like, this is what you want to do. This is a good book. This is a solid author to pick for readability. I think maybe a little naive for an 18-year-old, but like definitely like a 16, 15 year old who wants to feel like they're reading up age wise in terms of a character, one I would recommend to them, no problem. So, I give readability a 10. Okay. I would give it an 8. That's fair. Mainly because it's not the one that was like, you know, you can put it down. It's not so gripping that you're just like lost in it immediately but it's still super easy to read i will say i love the audiobook even more than i love actually having read the book because i actively in my car was like oh do i want to listen to music on on my way to work or do i want to listen to an audiobook and for those who don't know usually i listen to music when i drive to work in order to hype myself up and like get me in the work mood for work and then i listen to an audiobook driving home with this audiobook, I did keep going, no, you know what? I actually want to listen to the audiobook this morning. I want to make progress on this story. Um, so readability-wise, in listening to it, it was good. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, which is, again, not something I normally do. Normally, moorings are not for audiobooks. It has to be <laughs> a very good audiobook for me to be like, I want to listen to that as opposed to like get in the mindset for work with music. So Yeah, that makes sense style what are your thoughts I don't know what to talk about for style I was hoping you would just dive hit on that one 
That's fair. I can. I very much can. I just didn't want to like steamroll it with style. I wanted to give you a chance to like make a comment, but I know style is always a category that like you're like I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I'm not really sure what we're gonna talk about until you start giving me ideas. So, (laughs) so I love this author style. I have read three of her books. She is an instant buy author for me. I love her atmospheric fairy tale vibe that she has i feel like she builds such great worlds that i can envision them because like she has another one that's called house of salt and sorrow and it's on an island it's craggy it's got a very scottish feel to it it's very salty briny and then there are these 12 daughters who have been dying and are dancing and all this kinds of stuff and like you could hand me any of her books without telling me it was her book. And I would go, oh, this kind of reads like an Aaron A. Craig book. Hmm. So, and and I love it for the juxtaposition of the fairy tale to the, like, not horror, but, like, gothic uncanny. I, I like it. It's like, that is, like, my wheelhouse. <laughs> I love that little niche. Um, I could happily just read that niche for the rest of my life and I would not be disappointed. Um, so I love her style. Okay. Okay. Um, I am not sure. Maybe if I read other books by her, but I'm like at this point in time, I'm not sure that I would be able to recognize this kind of style or her style. If I were to pick up a different, you know, another of her books um, without knowing that it was by her or even if it had her name printed on it, because I can't remember the author's name at this point in time. So in this imaginary scenario, I wouldn't remember it either. Um, But I mean, I think honestly, you would have the same comments for each of her books. You would love the world building. You would like the structuring of the secondary characters. The main characters probably would not be a driving element for you. Hmm. Yeah, that is because true. That is pretty consistent in terms of like all of the books. Um, I'd say maybe in the other two because they're the same universe. Uh, they're continuation. One's, one's called A House of Salt and Sor- Sorrow. And then another is A House Ooh. of Ruin and Rot. That there's a little bit more depth to those characters because we get some of them over two books. Um, but they definitely, I don't think they'd be main characters that necessarily like pull you in strongly. You'd be okay with them being the main characters, but you'd still question their like thought motivation, but you'd enjoy the world building um, mm. with how much you enjoyed the structuring of this town and the use of it. I think you would like the other ones even more. You would get that same like movie quality to it. Maybe. I don't know. If they're more gothic y, I tend to check out. Uh, it, it's gothic. Too doom and gloomy is just. It, it really reads more Scottish. <laughs> it would. It would that doesn't it would, help me. <laughs> it, it, you, how do I describe this? I think you would like the atmosphere. 
it would probably be your preferred of all the gothic stuff we've ever read because it would be more mm-hmm. oceany weathered bragginess as opposed to desolate house falling apart. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. So, but I don't know. That's that just, that's what my thought is on what you would feel about the style if you were to read more of her stuff. Um, but it's fair that you like look at this and you're like, I don't know what the style is because it is young adult yeah. and I feel like style with young adults. It kind of gets bled out of the book if it exists in the first place to appeal to a younger demographic um there's not as much individually individuality in these books um so drogo you can't stand on leading had to mention the cats once well (laughs) this one oh chubble bubble decided he wanted to be in my lap and the only way he could get to my lap with how i'm seated is to stand on top of Murphy and Leiden, and he is 17 and a half pounds wanting to stand on other cats. It's painful. He's standing on yeah. me, and it's painful. Um, I will say, in terms of a young adult, I feel like she has more style than some young adult books. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, yeah. Okay, a little bit more flavor here. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I don't think it's maybe as flavorful as some adult books. But there's enough there that I can see the author's taste in it. Yeah. Which is such a weird way to describe that, but I don't know how to sort that any other way. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty. Then uh, do we want to rate style? Yeah, sure. So Kim gave it a six. (laughs) Like, I don't understand her numbers. I really wish. I don't know. I, I know. Information. What's going to be funny is she's going to listen to this episode and be like, this was my thought. They're totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you give style? I'd give it a seven. Okay. I will give it. I'm going to give it a ten. I, en- I enjoy reading her books. She is an instant buy author for me. So, like. Hmm. I have to recognize that. Okay, so that means in total you... Sorry, my because we skipped Psycho and Ar- Psyche and Eros, my automatic formula is not formulating. So you gave it a 62 in total. Okay, that's about what I was thinking. I knew it couldn't have been higher than 70, or even 70, since I didn't give sevens for everything. Yep. Let's see here. Kim gave it a 66. Oddly enough, she liked this more than you, but I guess that works with the starring system. Um, And I gave it... It's probably actually going to be pretty high. There isn't anything. There's only one category that I... You gave it quite a few tenths. 88 for me, which is about where I would think it would be. So let's see here. I gave it an 88. Kim gave it a 66. And you gave it a 62. So in total, it came out to 216. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah, that puts it above all the white spaces, but underneath Space Invaders and the Sunbearer Trials. Which 
I, I could solidly agree. I, I do think Sunbearer Trials was a stronger book than this. Um. So yeah, no, I, I, I think that's pretty fair for where we typically end up with our young adult books. Yeah. All right. So next time we will be discussing, discussing. <laughs> we'll be discussing Leech. Um. To continue our body horror. And then we will be discussing Negative Space. Which I know absolutely nothing about. I also know no. absolutely nothing about it. And I'm kind of scared. Why? Like, I don't know. Is it going to be just absolutely awful? Or is it just going to be really fucking weird? Or just, I, I don't know what to expect. I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know. It's got a 3.8 on Goodreads. Yeah, I know. But. Let's see here. What is it about? Okay, now I gotta know. I like the cover. I like look at my books as if I have it. It's waiting at the library for me. I have to grab it. It doesn't have a description of the book on Amazon. It just has quotes from other authors. Oh, I think it has a description on Goodreads. I didn't look at it on Amazon. I know, but that does that does Worry me a little bit. Let's see here. Book details. Oh, four te- teens in a New Hampshire mill town abuse a bizarre hallucinogen called Whirl in order to cope with a devastating suicide epidemic. Well, that definitely sounds dark. It is queer. As in, like, LGBTQ, just to clarify. <laughs> um... I'm surprised it's actually only from 2020. Like, the cover makes it seem like it would at least be the late 90s to early 2000s. Yeah, that looks like Um, a really dated design. But it's published by Apocalypse Party, so it might be independently published. Oh, man, it was published right before, like, COVID picked up, too. March 1st, 2020. Yeah! Oh, man! Um, Interesting. I'm sorry. Genres horror fiction, Boldings Roman. What? Ooh, I don't know that you'll like this, Sarah. Hence my so, concern. Buildings Roman is a growing up or coming of age of a general naive person who goes in search of answers to life questions with the expectation that these. Where where did it cut off? Oh, it it doesn't. <laughs> okay. In literary criticism, a Bolding's Roman is a literary genre that focuses on the psychological and moral growth of the protagonist from childhood to adulthood in which character change is important. The term comes from the German word Bolding, which is education, alternatively forming, and Roman, novel. It's an education novel. <laughs> Uh, this sounds very literary for you, Sarah. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Okay. As I say, other examples they give are like Catra in the Rye. Oh, I read that. That was all right. And Damon from Herman Hess. Hmm. I haven't read that one. Uh, this is more modern. Bird, the Outsiders. 
Don't know that one. Harry Potter. Don't know that one. Naruto. <laughs> okay, I've read some of that. Uh, let's see. Here. Getting a wide selection here. Yeah, let's see. Uh, Great Expectations, Little Women, The Adventures of Huckleberry those. Finn. Oh, I had to read that in co- Oh, I like that one, actually. Jane Eyre, Withering Heights. Didn't like Jane Eyre. Didn't read Withering Heights. Uh... That is the only one that I, at a glance, recognize as being part of this little subgenre. Oh, Wizard of Earthsea, but I've not read it. Yeah, only heard of it. Dune. Okay, I enjoyed that. Interesting. This this will be... I think you very much picked a literary body horror. <laughs> I had trouble finding things that were labeled as body horror that actually sounded like body horror in the description. I don't um, know how you got body horror from this one. <laughs> I think I was reading people's reviews and they mentioned okay. things. Um, or I looked it up on Wikipedia. The genres that come up. Well, I was going to say, the genres that come up are horror fiction, Bowling's Roman, psychological fiction, and paranormal fiction. It came up when I looked at body horror in Goodreads. It was like hmm. one of those. Um, I mean, I could try to find a different one since we've still got some time. And I mean, if you want to read this one, we can. Um, you do tell you me. me to see if... What? I said we could do tell me I'm worthless. No. <laughs> He's like, Fuck Butcher you. and Blackbird. <laughs> um, I love how you're just like, <laughs> like, no comment on Butcher and Blackbird. Uh, I mean, I can see if I can find you a couple of other examples in case you change your, you want like options. Um, but if you want to read this one, we can read this one. Wait. Well, here, we'll continue discussing this off the episode, so I'm going to close this out and then we'll keep talking. Oh, yeah, we're still recording, aren't we? We are, yeah. So, on that note, our intro and outro music is by Grant Newman, and it's called The Battle of the Nile from Epidemic Sound. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to Bookpile Banter on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, or whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you on any of our social media platforms, such as Instagram or TikTok. You can find us at book underscore pile underscore banter. You can also support us on bookshop.org. Our link is available via our social media. You can email us at bookpilebanter at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 